0: Well, good morning, Temple Baptist Church. It turns out Pastor James is not here, so I can preach on whatever I want. <laughs> it's good to be back with you. I was just up the road in Strathroy last Sunday. I almost drove right past the exit coming here. I was glad I didn't. It was snowing last week. It is good to be back with you. Let me just get organized a bit here. We're going to have communion at the end here, so... Let me put this where I can find it. We are beginning a new journey this morning in the book of... You are so clever. Doesn't that look great? I don't know who did that, but doesn't that look great? Really looks great. Yeah, you can clap. God's okay with clapping. Let's go to the Lord. I need his help. I want to ask for it. Thank you, Gail Ann and worship team. I could sing of his love forever. Amen, couldn't you? Sure could. Let's pray. Father God, we, we've lifted our voices to you and the reality that who else would we turn to? You are our God and we are your people. And Father, as we start this new journey this morning through the book of Ruth, this amazing story that mirrors the redemptive saving love of Christ, would you just impart upon our minds and hearts what it is you would have us to learn and father would you help your servant this morning just clarify my thoughts and anoint my lips and and just help me we've come to hear from you and father god we just uh, as i heard all those kids go out to the tree house bless them this morning now thank you for children and uh, all of those workers down there. And so bless those kids. I know that they're growing up in a difficult world. And so would you put your hand of peace and protection upon them and upon their families? And it's in Jesus' name we pray and for his glory alone. Amen and amen. Well, as we start our uh, study in the book of Ruth this morning, uh, I'm gonna, the first message we're gonna have this morning is called, For now, here for now, and I want to ask you this: Have you ever been stuck waiting? Anybody been stuck waiting where you're like, "I'm just waiting"? Nobody, anybody? But yeah, you've been so, Maybe you're waiting now, right? Maybe you're waiting for the sermon to be over. I mean, you know, you f- could really feel like you know waiting is. Uh, you know, sometimes it's a few minutes. Sometimes it's weeks. Sometimes you feel like you're waiting for years. And waiting requires patience. And no one seems to like waiting except for a guy named Ace. Ace is in an Alabama prison waiting to go to the electric chair. And the prison warden comes to Ace one day and says, Ace, next week you're going to the electric chair. Ace says, Yeah, I know. And the warden says, "Uh, you know, it's our tradition here in this prison that before somebody goes to the electric chair, the night before, they get their favorite meal. And he goes, okay. So what would you like? And he says, well, I'd like a big steak, mashed potatoes, and I'd like to finish it off with watermelon. And the warden says, Ace, this is December. We don't have watermelons. And he says, I know, but I can wait. (laughs) Right? here's a little poem i landed on patience is a virtue possess it if you can found seldom in a woman and never in a man (laughs) truth in that isn't there have you ever been stuck in a waiting room you know doctor hospital airport waiting for someone to come out of surgery and time seems to stand still and sometimes those are times of fear and anxiousness and confusion and maybe even pain and today i want to talk about when we're stuck in the waiting room of life as we enter into the book of ruth and we're just going to look at the first five verses so open your bibles Uh, this morning to the book of Ruth, Joshua Judges Ruth, little book, just a few chapters, easy to go by it and miss it. You know, if you've hit Samuel, you've gone too far. So just a little book and a few chapters in the Old Testament. And we're going to begin to read. So hear the word of the Lord uh, to Ruth chapter one. We're just going to study the first five verses this morning. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his Naomi and the name of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. Now, <clears throat> When you see this phrase in the days where the judges ruled, just to give you a context, it's the phase in Israel's history between the death of Joshua and the crowning of Saul as king, okay? And the story begins in Bethlehem of Judah. And maybe the irony here, the crisis here, is apparent that Bethlehem, which means house of grain or house of bread, and yet there's no food in Bethlehem. There's... A famine there. And so let's keep reading, uh, reading on. They were Ephraites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. Now these are people who come from Bethlehem and they go to Moab which means they cross over the Jordan River, if you know the Israel at all, and they head east and kind of south around the Dead Sea to Moab. We're going to throw a map up on the screen. I think we are going to throw them yeah, there we go so you can get a sense of where this is, right? So the purple is Moab. You can look up there to where Jerusalem is and Bethlehem is right next to it and so they come over and they come down and they land right there in Moab, trying to find food. So it's a uh, kind of a desperate sojourn. And if you know anything about the Moabites and the Israelites, you will know that uh, their interaction is strained at best, and really it's quite adversarial. But Elimelech leads his family, and of course this is a patriarchal culture, the man's very strong leadership, and they follow. And why wouldn't they? Because there's no food in Israel, right? So they go to Moab hoping for the best. And at minimum, even if nobody likes them there, at least they can find food and they can live. Now look at verse three. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. So actually the situation gets worse. Have you ever felt like you were trying to get out of a difficult situation and you did something and it got worse? Right? Like you're trying to get out and you say, oh my goodness, I think I'm farther in now than when I started. And that's what's happened to Naomi. The situation gets worse. And she finds herself in a tighter spot than even she was when she was in Bethlehem. And that can happen to us, can it? Sometimes it's certainly in relationships, you know? You can find yourself in getting into a deeper hole when you're trying to fix a relationship. Sometimes in a financial situation, you're kind of getting yourself, trying to get yourself out, and all of a sudden, you, things turn, and you go, I'm in a worse spot than I was when I started. Instead of climbing out, we seem to be digging deeper. But Naomi probably says, well, you know, I still have my boys, and they'll look after their mama, and we'll figure this all out. Verse number four. These took Moabite wives. These are the sons. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. Now, how do we interpret that? Well, simply put, it was prohibited. In the text, the reference is Deuteronomy 7, verses 3 and 4. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. And the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. It's prohibited. Now, let me, if you're a teenager, college student, and you're single, let me do a little side note here. Listen carefully. Don't date non Christians. I'm going to tell you that straight up. You may not like that, and you may be dating a non-Christian. If you're a follower of Jesus, don't date a non-Christian, because I have met dozens of young people, and they say, yeah, I'm dating him, he's not a Christian. I'm dating her, she's not a Christian. But I'll never marry a non-Christian. You know what I I found out? I realized that people only marry people They date. God it's not in God's will for you to marry a non-Christian and I can tell you story after story after story where ultimately that turns into heartache especially when you have kids changes the dynamic don't date non-Christians so the boys got their way by marrying Moabite wives it was their choice and it appears that Naomi Permits them in doing so. Look at the last part of verse 4. They lived there about 10 years, and both Malon and Chileon died. Oh my goodness. Naomi. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Can you imagine? Naomi is deserted. Husband is gone, sons are gone, there's no grandkids. And she's a foreigner amongst what has historically been very unfriendly people. But the book of Ruth, friends, as we're going to journey through, is glorious and beautiful story of people coming together for good. But when you read these first five verses of Ruth, it's a downer, isn't it? You read those first five verses and it's like... You know, you read this, the power of redeeming love. So far, it's really not good. But the book doesn't end. So the question I want to ask you is, what if you were Naomi? As we start this morning on this new journey. What do we do when we find ourselves in unfamiliar places and unfamiliar experiences, and often when fear and disappointment roll in? What do we do? Is it possible to have a sense of anticipation amidst the difficulty and despair? What do I do when I'm waiting? This morning, I want to give a few biblical principles that have been helpful to God's people while God has you in the waiting room. So if you're in the waiting room right now in life, this may be very helpful. If you're not, one day you likely will be. So let me give you these. We'll walk through this, okay? The first one is this. You have to remember this. When you're in the waiting room, remember that my significance is not determined by my place or my position. My significance is not determined by my place or my position. And this is so difficult when you're in the waiting room, when things seem to have fallen in on you. You feel like you're sidelined or marginalized. Others are doing great things and you're stuck there, right? Isaiah 40, 30 and 31, familiar verses, you might remember them, right? Even you shall faint and grow weary, but young men shall feel, fall exhausted, but they who wait on the Lord will renew their strength, right? The key is the wait. The key is the wait, Because so often in our lives, we look back and we realize what is past is prologue. Have you ever realized that? You look back and you go, oh, that's what God was doing. But that's impossible to understand, virtually impossible, if you are enslaved by what the world thinks of you. Let me say that again. You're going to find waiting extremely difficult if you are captivated and overly concerned, enslaved by what the world thinks of you. So you need to remember that your significance, your significance as a person, is not determined by your place or your position. Not in the least. Psalm 33 20 through 22. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. When you are waiting and you feel like you're not significant and you feel like your position is meaningless, ask for God to comfort you and bring his comfort into your life. Second thing I want you to notice. Second thing I want you to notice. My goal is to wait and listen, not analyze and tell. Telling God what to do edits God and it typecasts you. Let me say that again. Telling God what he should do edits God and it typecasts you. Proverbs 3, 5. Many of you will know this verse, right? Trust in the Lord with all your, what? Heart and do what? Lean not on what? Your own understanding. When we moved back from South Carolina about 16 years ago, we had no idea what God had for us. I resigned my position in South Carolina, and for 10 months after I resigned, I had no clarity And just had to finally wait and say, okay, Lord, you know, you go and show me when you're ready and I'm ready to receive it. And if you do all the analysis and say, hey, God, I'm stuck here, uh, but uh, get me out of this. You will edit God because he may be preparing you for something that you cannot see. And in fact, you, if he told you at that moment, you might shudder if he told you because you're not ready to receive it. I read a little while ago the book Into Thin Air. Has anybody ever read that book about Mount Everest, climbing Mount Everest? Great story, really great story. And uh, the most important key to survival when you climb Mount Everest, <clears throat> and people thinking, you know, you gotta be physically fit and all that. No, you know what the most important thing to survival is? acclimatizing to thin air. It does not matter how smart and how strong you are, how well-equipped or experienced you are in climbing if you're not ready for a 50% 50 reduction in oxygen levels that begins at only 15,000 feet, which is only halfway up. And here's the really interesting part. Did you that know that the majority of people that die climbing Mount Everest don't die on the way up. They die on the way down. Did you know that? It's interesting, eh? They die in the descent. And you may feel you are ready for the mountaintop, but God is preparing you for that which you cannot see that may put you in a painful and dangerous place. Sometimes you need uh, a season to acclimatize, right? Right? Because God has a summit experience ahead of you. And something very grueling will allow you to do something totally amazing for His glory. And really good things that are hard. And really good things are always hard. Simple as that. So if you're in the waiting room with your fingers in your ears, God doesn't shout. He generally whispers. Hey. I like the story of uh, a guy that gets a job as a telemarketer selling duck cleaning. You ever had a call? Duck cleaning services? You had the call, right? So this guy gets a job selling duck cleaning services, telemarketing. Phones the house up. <clears throat> Phones answered. Hello. He said, Oh, hello. Uh, my name's Rick. Uh, are, you, are you a child? Yes, my name's Thomas, and I'm seven years old. He goes, okay, Thomas. Thomas, can I speak to your mom? Is your mom there? She's here, but she's busy. Oh. Uh, will she be free? Like, what's she doing? She's talking to a policeman. Oh, okay. What about your dad? Is your dad here? Yeah, my dad's here but he's busy too. Oh, okay. Well, what's he doing? He's talking to the firemen. Oh, wow. Is there any other adults there, Thomas? Yes. I have an older brother and an older sister, but they're busy out in the yard. Oh, wow. Everybody's really busy at your house, Thomas. What's everybody so busy doing? Well, they're looking for me. Listen really carefully this morning. God's not looking for you. When you're in the waiting room, He's never taken His eyes off of you. He sees you, He's watching you, He loves you, He cares about you. And if you feel like you're lost and He can't find you, He knows exactly where you are. So you wait and you trust. And when He's ready, He will direct you. So don't try and hide. Number three, while waiting, focus on your brokenness, not your giftedness. Let me say that again. While waiting, focus on your brokenness and not your giftedness. Brokenness is the awareness that we are capable of that which continually and deeply hurts the heart of God, and yet he still loves us. It's our brokenness. And that drives us to grasp more fully and hold more deeply the love and the grace and goodness of God. And if you are waiting, you know, everything changes if you are sitting with one who loves you, right? While waiting, we give over to God everything and he will use what he chooses. When you're waiting, sit with God and you give everything over to him and he'll decide to use what he chooses. And if your focus is on your giftedness, then you give that to God, and you go back to being typecast. Let God choose. And I have found when I am in the waiting room of life, and it feels like God has set me aside, and there's a season, I'm like, oh, I'm waiting, and, and whatever I do, this seems to get worse and not better, then I find that you know when, you're, when God doesn't allow you to move forward in doing things, it's because he wants to work on your being. And as a Christian, you move forward on a set of train tracks. One is what you're doing for God, that's the hands, and then the other train track is the heart, your being before God. And when this one stops, this one cannot keep going. And often when this one stops, it's because God wants to work on your heart. And so he says, let's just put the brakes on. Let's just put the brakes on. Exodus chapter four. If you want, you can turn over to Exodus chapter four. There's a beautiful picture of this. God is talking to Moses. He says, Moses, you know, I got this job for you. I want you to go talk to Pharaoh. Exodus 4, verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O oh my Lord, please send somebody else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against him. And he said to him, is is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? In other words, I could send him. I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. And then God asks Moses, of course, to throw down his staff and put his hand in his cloak. And he does. And God is ready to use him. Now, remember, Moses has spent a long time in God's waiting room, hadn't he? a long time in God's waiting room because he, uh, well, we could go back to, uh, began, I guess, as a baby, just three months old and he gets placed in a basket and it lasts for probably full 40 years before he's finally back with his family. Why would God keep Moses stuck in the waiting room? Out being a shepherd down in Midian because he was going to lead and enslave people for 40 years. Right, And Moses was the only Israelite in that whole group of Israelites that he would lead through the desert who had not lived under slavery. And God knew the pessimism and the cynicism and the inability to trust that would take root in people who had experienced blistering enslavement. And a man of that poisoned heart could not lead them. So Moses was his man. And while he's waiting down there in the desert of Midian, he reflected on killing the Egyptian and realized his heart was capable of wickedness. God is working in the waiting room. Let's go back to Ruth. Number four. I commit to doing what is right regardless of my rights. When you're in the waiting room, you commit to doing what is right, regardless of your rights. While waiting, the natural ungodly reaction is to begin to focus on, well, this isn't right. This isn't right. I demand my rights. The thing with Naomi is she had no one, no one to demand any rights from. But you know, often that's what we do, right? When we're in the waiting room, we begin to assign fault and responsibility on the human level. Well, I'm stuck here because of this. Now we go back to Proverbs chapter three. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. See, when we demand our rights in the waiting room, we're leaning on our own understanding. That's what we're doing, right? We're thinking with the natural mind instead of surrendering to the divine will and God's thinking. And if you live by your rights, listen carefully, you never grow beyond your own demands. And that's kind of a sad place to end up. Let me go back to verse number three. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite, what? Moabite, Moabite wives. That's hard to say, isn't it? Moabite, Mo—they took wives, <laughs> and they weren't supposed to take those wives. There was nowhere to turn and no rights to be demanded, no earthly ombudsman for the family, no hope on the horizon, and there she was for now, Naomi and those boys. So they were in a tight spot, and then they are disobedient. Listen carefully. I want you to get this. Listen carefully. Disappointment and despair is often a doorway to disobedience. Did you hear that? When you're disappointed and in a place of despair, Satan wants us to believe that pain is a free pass for sin. Well, I'm feeling so badly, I've been mistreated, I've been hurt, and so Satan wants you to believe that that's a free pass for sin. You know, God will be okay with this because, man, I've really taken it on the chin. It's a great trick of Satan. Great trick. Great trick. When the fog is so thick that you are stuck, trust in God. Because after verse 5 of Proverbs chapter 3, this won't be too astounding, comes verse 6. In all your ways, what do you do? Acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So you lean not on your own understanding, but trust in the Lord and in all your ways, in anything you're gonna do, you acknowledge God, say, God, you are on the throne, you're in charge. I am stuck, I am waiting, but I acknowledge you. I wanna follow after whatever you have for me. And then he will say, good, thank you. I'll make your path straight. I'll see you through and I'll see you out. And if you cannot trust God in the dark, my experience is you're probably not gonna trust him very well in the light. Now, a promise, the last principle I want to give you. It's a promise, and it's a great promise when God has you in the waiting room, and it's this. What God has for me, no mortal can take from me. Let me say that again. What God has for me, no mortal can take from me. Nobody can take away what God ultimately has for you. If you believe in the sovereignty of God. Now, you can ignore it. You can try and run away from it. But the waiting room has Naomi and Ruth here. But only for now. An amazing story is about to unfold. And we're going to journey through the story in the next several weeks. And we will see God's hand in it over and over and over again. While waiting, we can get caught up in Facebook fantasies, right? You're in the waiting room, your life seems like you've been marginalized, right? You've been traumatized, you've been set aside, and you get involved in what I call Facebook fantasies. Others are getting blessed, their life is better, they got cooler stuff, you know the, you go on uh, you go on Facebook and they've they're posting their dinner. It's a it's a it's a rack of lamb from the Big Fish Steak and Lounge. Now I've never been there, but if you'd like to take me there, I will go. <laughs> but you know they got you know they're sitting there and the big rack and they, oh we're at the because I understand it's pretty nice there. It's pretty nice there. Yeah, it's pretty nice there. Okay. Like, did I mention that I would go if you wanted to? Okay. So, you, you know, you, you see this is what happens to us. This is what so, you know, you look on so, and they go, oh, and then you go, oh, I got the rack of lamb at the big fish, you know? And you, you read that, and then you go look in the oven at your DiGiorno pizza on the second rack of your oven, right? And you can feel that way and say, like, everybody else is doing cooler, better stuff, and here I am, and I'm struggling, and I'm waiting, and I'm set aside. Listen, listen. Don't work when you're waiting. Don't work at competing and don't spend time comparing. That's the devil. I'm going to compete with others and I'm going to compare myself to others. That's the devil. And basically what you're saying is, God, you don't really know what you're doing in all of this and you will find yourself deeper into the hole, which is what happened to Naomi after her husband died, you see, and the boys married these Moabite wives, and she, the text doesn't tell us, it doesn't sound like there was a lot of protest, and so they were in a deep hole, and you know, we need to have wives so that we have kids, and we'll have the family, we'll we'll carry on, but they get themselves in deeper. Competing and comparing. Don't look over your shoulder and take the gaze off the journey in front of you. Listen to this. Second only to suffering, waiting may be the greatest teacher and trainer in godliness, maturity, and genuine spirituality most of us can encounter. So you go to to God. Here's what Eugene Peterson says. Listen to this. Waiting in prayer is a disciplined refusal to act before God acts. Isn't that good? It's a disciplined a disciplined refusal to act before God acts. You're going to wait. What God has for you, no mortal can take from you. Be patient. Yeah, you're here. You're here. But only for now. But only for now. Let me read this as we close. His wisdom is sublime his heart profoundly kind. God never is before his time and never is behind. Never is behind. Let's pray, and then we'll have communion. Father God, we love you. Father, we love you. Father, forgive us for times when we have competed and compared with others not realizing that what you have for us in store for us is held firmly in your hand. Father, forgive us for times when we have analyzed and asked you to do things instead of just waited and listened to you when we're in the waiting room. Father God, forgive us for times when we've made our agenda first and foremost and refuse to let you be God in our lives. Father God, may we focus on our brokenness. Realize when we're in the waiting room, just to ask ourselves, do we have a part in this? Have we contributed to getting ourselves here? Sometimes we have, we know that. So Father God, help us to realize those times. Cry out to you. Father, we love you. Father, as we journey through this book, will you show us the greatness of redemptive love in a fresh new way. And Father, the reality is the world is stuck like Naomi was stuck. And the only hope for the world is a redeemer. And we have one in the Lord Jesus Christ where you have placed your glory and your wisdom for us to see so clearly and so profoundly. We love you, Lord. We want you to hear that from our lips this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.